0: Amen. What a wonderful message. Thank you, Brother McNeil. We are thankful to be here. I'll tell you a couple of things before I go to the message. First of all, it's a first for me to be here. No no doubt I've never been here before, but I invited myself to come. I called Brother Todd. I've never done that in 20 years in the ministry, but after Brother John Morgan Owens came down, who spoke so highly of the manifest spirit that was here and the friendliness and the fellowship that he experienced and the liberty that he felt. And he said, Brother Tim, you need to go down there sometime. This is a couple of years ago, whenever he came down. And I said, okay, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and then Brother Luke Hagler has been here multiple times. He came back and he said, after the fellowship and the spirit and the liberty that he felt, he said, Brother Tim, you need to go down there. And I said, maybe. Right, <laughs> and then uh, Brother Lonnie Mazingo back in January <laughs> called me. And he said, Brother Tim, I don't ever ask you to do anything. That's not true, by the way. Uh, He said, uh, if you have a mind or can send some of the brothers down there to gum log to those good people down there, he said, I sure would appreciate it. And at that moment, I said, I'm going. I've never invited myself, but I contacted Brother Todd. I said, I'd like to come down. I'd like to come down and be with y'all. And I've not been disappointed so far. So happy to have the young men traveling with me. I hope y'all get an opportunity to talk with them, they will look you in the eye and they will introduce themselves to you. Praise God for that. And thank them especially for leading the music here this morning. They did a wonderful job. Glad my son, Asher, uh, he's the only one of my immediate family that was able to come. And so glad he could be here with us. And uh, also my uh, son-in-law's father, Brother Marlon, with us. And uh, he is a dear, dear friend. And Brother Philip, when I said I want a bunch of young men to go with me, I said, I'll take a few old men, too. And so Brother Marlon and Brother Philip were the first two. Brother Milam came along a little later. So very thankful to have all of the dear, dear friends to come down here and share them with y'all. That was my whole purpose. So it's great to be with you. Appreciate what Brother McNeil has said. Uh, The Lord blessed him, did he not? Yes, he did. So for a few minutes as we enjoy re-inaugurating your worship down here. The Spirit's manifest has been and we trust will continue to be if y'all will continue to pray for me. Let's look at Exodus, the second chapter. I want to speak to you for the remaining time on this subject. Exodus, the second chapter, as we speak about this. They sighed, they cried, and the Lord heard on high. If you look with me to Exodus 2. I don't know if you're like me, but I've been doing a lot of sighing lately. I've been doing some crying too. Over the condition of our country, the condition of our churches, the situations that we find ourselves in, one of the first thoughts that comes to my mind is, what can I do? What kind of difference can I make? I'm a little nobody, backwoods preacher, southern lawyer in the middle of nowhere. What impact can I make on this the horrible decisions that our Supreme Court has made in the midst of all of this chaos. What impact can I make upon the rioting and the chaos and the looting and the burning? What, what difference can I make? I don't know anything about medicine. Every time I touch my face after I wash my hands now, I think, oh my gosh, I got the coronavirus, you know? Yeah. Never realized how much I touched my face until I, t- I was told I didn't need to. <laughs> It's like your hand just goes straight to your face whenever you are finally told you can't. So What can I do? Well, this morning as we consider that, you may be thinking the same thing out here in, in backwoods Mississippi gum log. I want you to see from the Scripture, there is something you can do. And I tell you it's more important than any law or any judicial decree or any legislation that could ever come down from any government, any country any court anywhere on the face of the earth. And we find that in Exodus 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 23. Exodus 2 and 23. And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of bondage. And they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, God remembered His covenant. The word remember, by definition, it means to mark or to mention. So I want you to see very clearly what is going on when it says that God remembered His covenant. If you will, for just a moment of foolishness, which I have no idea what I'm talking about because I've never been there. But just imagine for a moment in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, the God of fellowship, the God of festival, the God who relishes in his own presence, and for unknown reasons that only the depths of eternity could ever plumb for us, he desires fellowship with ruined creatures that he has bought by the blood of his only Son, his only begotten Son. You just picture that for a moment in heaven, which I have no idea what I'm talking about, because I've never been there, as I said. But this says that God remembered. And for the God that we know is a triune God that interacts and is in complete harmony with one another, it literally, I believe, means that God the Father looked at God the Spirit. And God the Spirit looked at God the Son. God the Son looked at God the Spirit and God the Father. And they had a conversation. And they said, you remember Do you remember what we promised? you recall to mind what we said before the foundation of the world, but also in the days of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob? We made a covenant with ourselves. That covenant was not based on what Abraham was or what Isaac was or what Jacob was. That covenant was based on the sovereign mercy and grace of God where He promised. He promised God that cannot lie promise that He would draw a people out unto Himself and they would be His own. Isn't that glorious? And I want you to know that what precipitated that discussion, that mentioning, that remembering of that covenant was God heard the sighs and the cries of His people. Amen. Now listen to me. It says that they cried by reason of their bondage and they sighed by reason of their bondage. You know the context of what's going on there. Terrible situation. One of the worst you could ever find in the world. You think our situation's bad. It's not as bad as the children of, of Israel that were down in Egypt. You know, the old saying, well, you can always find somebody that's in a worse situation than you. Well, what about that fellow that is the one in the worst situation when you hate to be him? And so what you've got here is the children of Israel that have been down in Egypt for 400 plus years. And after the king, the pharaoh, died who was favorable towards Joseph, sometime later another pharaoh comes up and he sees how the children of Israel are multiplying in the land of Goshen where they were stationed whenever they came down in those days of Joseph. He sees how they are prospering and he gets nervous. And he hates the Israelites. And he says, there's too many of them. We've got to start culling them out. And so he begins to do an ethnic cleansing of the Israelites. First of all, he passes a law. And he says, everybody, you know, is supposed to, everybody is supposed to get rid of their baby boys. But what he means is, it's just a wink and a nod among the Egyptians. But he's trying to get rid of the baby boys of the Israelites. That's what he's doing. So it was a terrible time of infanticide. You can read about how God raised up some amazing characters of faith. The two women who were the, uh, the ones that went and helped the women uh, birth their children. Those were women of great faith and God blessed them mightily because they wouldn't give in to the infanticide culture that murdered children. Are y'all hearing me this morning? We are an infanticide culture that has as a policy the murder of children. And it's not getting better; it's getting worse because now you not only can murder a child that's alive in the womb, but some states you might even be able to murder a child that's laid out on the table that's living and breathing. No different than the way it was in Egypt, brothers and sisters. This isn't a political commentary. I don't care if, if somebody is this party or that party. I want to be a Bible commentary. You understand? That's what controls our should control our thinking. It's not about politics. It's about the Word of God. We are an infanticide culture, but not quite as bad as it was in the days of the Egyptians. Y'all picture those mamas and those daddies. Terrified. Oh, what if we have a boy? Oh, you know, you think about China, you know, where they just throw away girls over there. Often. But in in this culture, if they had a boy, it was a death sentence. They were wishing. Oh, I hope we don't have a boy. I hope we have a girl. I've got four girls. I never could have figured that one out back when I grew up in a house with two boys and a mom and a dad. You know, we were rough as cobs there on the farm. I didn't. I didn't understand the the world of girls. <laughs> I've been initiated into that in a mighty way with lots of girls around. And in these days, I can just picture those parents thinking, "I hope we don't have a boy because if we do, we're going to have to kill him." And many parents were ordered by the local authorities to take that boy down to the river, toss him in the water, aborting him when he was born. You see? It's a terrible, terrible situation. You want to know why the children of Israel were, were crying and were sighing? It's because they were under not only just having to build the temples of the Pharaohs, not just having to build their structures and work in brick and mortar, but mainly because they were having to kill their babies. And over that period of time, things got worse and things got worse. And the children of Israel, the children of Israel, maybe they tried to, maybe they tried to protest, maybe they thought about a revolution. Maybe they thought about this, maybe they thought about that. But at some point, they realized they were pinned up, hemmed in, backed in the corner. There was no place to look but up. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that's the best place to look. Period is up. <laughs> and so as they were facing the terrible situation in the culture that they were in, and they felt so insignificant and so forgotten, it says that their size... Can you just see those mamas and those daddies sitting down in the house after they have been to the river and tossed that boy, baby boy into the, into the water to be devoured by crocodiles or drowned in the water? See those mamas and daddies going back and sighing there? Oh, it reminds me of the days whenever Herod sent out the decree in the days of Jesus when he heard that some king was supposed to be down there in the land of Bethlehem and the wise men come and whenever the wise men left and mocked, Herod and didn't come back to him because God told him not to. What did Herod do? Did he submit? No, he said, I'll pass a law. I'll enter a decree. And they went down there and killed all of the baby boys, two years old and younger. And it says that that was a reference back there to the prophecy in the days of Jeremiah whenever it says that Rachel was weeping for her children and refused to be comforted because her children were not. You see, those mamas and those daddies, those mamas especially, they couldn't be comforted because they'd lost their child. I tell you, it's much the same of the way it was in the days of when Egypt was requiring them to go and toss their babies in the river. They go back and they mourn. And they begin to look up. (laughs) They begin to sigh. You ever sighed? You just, oh, man. (coughs) Boy. When I go to sighing, I have a particular type of sigh uh, of a very troubled sound. My wife knows that sigh. You know, it's not... Man, oh, that was tough. We, we had a hard time, you know, working in the garden or whatever, you know. But I got a particular sigh, and she says, What's wrong? Something's not right. I tell you what, this was a particular sigh. They sighed by reason of their bondage. Child of God, do you ever sigh by reason of your bondage? Do you even know the bondage that you were in? This world is not your home, it's not my home. You don't belong here. We've been living for years and years and years and, and through incredible prosperity thinking that we belong here forever. I've got my house. I've got my mortgage paid off, maybe. I've got my cars paid off and I'm working on paying this off. I've got my boat. I've got my tractor for the garden or whatever. And we just think we're going to be here forever. I guarantee you some of you older ones could certainly tell us a thing or two about that. And you're probably thinking right now, who's this young whippersnapper telling us? We don't belong here. Let me tell you something. The children of Israel did not belong in Egypt. That was not their home. And the covenant that God had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, He had promised them a home. He said, I'm going to take you out and I'm going to put you in a place called the promised land. I'm going to give you a home, a land that flows with milk and honey. Let me tell you, child of God, there's a place that God has prepared for His covenant people. And when He takes them out of Egypt one day, it's a land that flows with eternal milk and eternal honey. And it's focused upon one thing, one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the reason heaven is heaven is not because there's eternal milk and eternal honey flowing there. The reason is because the Lord Jesus Christ... He is the eternal milk. He is the eternal sustenance. He is the eternal heaven. You understand? He is the eternal honey. He's the sweetest thing about heaven. He's the most nourishing thing about heaven. He is the reason that heaven is there. He is the reason that heaven is heaven. I can't wait to see my loved ones. I can't wait to see my grandfathers. I can't wait to meet my great-grandfathers. I can't wait to see those that I've never even known that I'm going to be close with. But the most important reason that we're going to enjoy heaven is because Christ Jesus is there. That's why. You see, the promised land was a great place. It was the land flowing <laughs> with milk and honey. But the most promising thing about the promised land was, you know what? Jehovah's going to be there. As a matter of fact, if you have read, you'll find that Jehovah made an appearance to, uh, to, to some of them as they began to go into the promised land. To Joshua, captain of the Lord of hosts, showed up there on the side of the Jordan River. You remember? And Joshua said, he knew it was a man of war that showed up. And Joshua looked at him and he said, whose side, are, whose side are you on? Are you for us or are you against us? You remember? And, and that would be nice in our you know, politically charged and you know, a aside kind of mentality. It would be like somebody saying, are you a Republican or Democrat or Independent? You know, The man of war shows up and you know what the man of war says? The captain of the Lord of hosts, Jesus Christ, says to Joshua, he says, neither. <laughs> he says, but I'm on my own side. You understand? Whose side are you on? Boy, that settles it right there, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what political party is motivating an individual. It matters what side are we on. Is it the Lord Jesus Christ, you see? The captain of the Lord of hosts showed up to Joshua before he went into the promised land, and, he, and Joshua demanded to know, What side are you on? And am I you on my side or the enemy's side? And he said, I'm on neither. I'm on my own side. Joshua, whose side are you on? Get your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And that's something. I love it. So, I've got to move along. You no, Exodus. Exodus exodus don't say that brother ever to a preacher don't ever say that to a preacher Uh, brothers back here my brothers i brought are shaking in their boots right now oh no somebody said he'd take as much time as he wants all right so the lord hears the sigh he hears the cry and the lord on high goes to moses this is sometime after moses is born remember now the lord hears that and about maybe 80 years later see the time doesn't mean anything to the lord so I mean, it means something because he made it, but he's going to work on his own timetable. Okay, eighty years later, the Lord comes to Moses in the burning bush. We we've skipped a lot, but I want to get to this. And in Exodus the sixth chapter, I want you to listen now because it's going to be important as we close here this morning in a few minutes. It says the Lord says to Moses, Exodus six: Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. Let me tell you, the Lord says I'm about to do something. You're not. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> He says, For I with a strong hand shall let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, by the name of Jehovah was I not known to them, and I also have established my covenant with them. Listen to what he says. To give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel. Y'all hear that? He heard their sighs. He heard their cries. Now watch. Whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. You hear that? Exodus 2, he says, he heard their sighs, he heard their cries, and the Lord remembered the covenant that he had made. And here he says to Moses, he says, Moses, understand, I have heard their groaning, I've seen what they're doing to them down there, and I have remembered, I have made mention of my covenant among myself between Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Wherefore, saying to the children of Israel, I am the Lord... And I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt, Egyptians to listen to the emphasis. And I will rid you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from the Egyptians, uh, from the under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into a land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. How about that? Is there any doubt in your mind or my mind who is going to do this? It's the Lord. He says, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's going to be me. Who's going to get the glory? The Lord. You see? (laughs) That's amazing, isn't it? Psalm 113 and 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? Watch this in verse 6 of that chapter. Who humbleth Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. How in the world could a God who runs the universes, a God who has set the planets and the stars in motion, a God, the only God who has done all of this, created the heavens and the earth, how in the world could this mighty and high God have anything, want to have anything to do, or have anything to do with little old me? That is phenomenal, is it not? Now, I want to tie this into you and me. You say, "Oh, it's great for the Egyptians. Oh, it's great that the Lord, you know, did what He did with them." Let's take a little journey. Let's see if we don't all kind of feel like Brother Job in Job 23. I don't think any of us have been in the condition Brother Job was in, have we? Job's there. He's lost his. He's lost all of his children. He's lost all of his substance. He's lost practically lost his wife because she's kind of mocked, she's mocked him, kind of. And then his three friends shows up. Everything's going to be better, right? Nope. (laughs) The three miserable comforters. Actually, there were four there. Don't you ever forget that. There were four there, three miserable comforters. And it says that Job, it's just like a courtroom proceeding. The miserable comforters say, Job, you've done this. Job, you've done that. And Job says, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. And it's just like a, a, a banter back and forth. And it's terrible. And they're bringing him down further and further. Job 23 and 1, Job answers them and says, even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Job says, I can't, groaning's not even good enough for me to express how I feel. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Y'all ever felt that way? I know none of us have felt like Job because we haven't lost what Job lost. But we felt like, just what I'm going through is just so heavy, I can't even express it. And look at what Job says Oh, that I knew where I might find him, God, that I might come before his seat. I would order my calls before God and fill my mouth with arguments. Have you ever felt that way? I would know the words which He would answer me and understand what He would say unto me. Will He plead against me with His great power? No, but He would put strength in me. You see, Job says, if I can just get to the throne, if I can just get to the feet of the Lord, if I can just express to Him what I've been going through like He really doesn't know. (laughs) He says, listen, Verse 8, Behold, I go forward, and He's not there. I go backward, but I cannot perceive Him on the left hand where He doth work. I cannot behold Him. He hideth Himself on the right hand, and I cannot see Him. You ever felt that way? I look here. I look there. I look forward. I look back. I don't see the Lord anywhere. <clears throat> through the years, I've been with some people when they were in some very difficult situations. And I knew they were going to go through more situations. Because it was. I just knew it was going to... Be that way. They weren't out of the woodwork, as we say. <laughs> and I would tell them, I said, I wish I could be there with you 24-7. That is my desire as a pastor. I would like to be there with the sheep. That'd be kind of unnerving and strange and uncomfortable for the sheep. Hey, there's Brother Tim in the corner. You know, <laughs> that's how I feel as a pastor. I wish I could be with every single one of my, of the sheep that the Lord has blessed me to pastor at all times, but I cannot do that. But I have told a few sheep this. You're going to go through some hard times. You're going to have some trouble. You're going to feel like the Lord's not there. Join the club. I feel the same way at times. I said, so what you need to do, according to this verse of Scripture right here, is you look to your right at that empty space to your right. Or you look to your left at that empty space at your left. Or you look in front of you at what seems like an abyss of an empty space. Or you look behind you and see at what you think is nothing behind you. And I'm telling you on the authority of the Word of God that the Lord who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, He is in that space. And by faith, you can believe it. Old brother Job's in a bad spot. He looks to the right, looks to the left, looks in the front, looks in the back. He said, there's no Lord. I don't see Him anywhere. If I could just get to Him. God's been there the whole time. And the Lord's about to show up in a chapter, few chapters in a mighty way. And He says to Job, Job, yeah, where were you? You're, taught, you're complaining and thinking I haven't been here? You think I haven't been here? Well, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? Where were you when I created the land and the sea animals? And Job says, I put my hand on my mouth. I spoke where I do not know. <laughs> you see, oh, child of God, the Lord hears you. The Lord was hearing Job the whole time. So we go to Romans the 8. chapter. I believe that Romans 8 chapter here as we begin in verse 18 and on towards the end of the chapter. Now I can't assume, but I can tell you this. The same blessed spirit that wrote this right here, inspired the Apostle Paul, inspired Moses to write what he wrote over Exodus 2 and Exodus 6. So I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart that Romans the 8, chapter 18 on towards the end of the verse is a comparative verse to Exodus 2 and to Exodus 6. Where the Lord said, I heard the sighs, I heard the cries, I heard on high. And I'm going to show you, I'm going to prove it to you. Why? Notice what's going on here. Verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What's what's the context here? Sufferings. What does sufferings cause us to do? Sigh and groan and cry. Are you all with me? For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's just a beautiful, poetic way that the the Apostle Paul, in a rhyming way, says that our expectation is to be manifested one day as the perfect sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly. If you want me to put this a little bit more in perspective and hint you in on it a little bit. The children of Israel were made subject to bondage and slavery, not willingly. Y'all don't think they willingly said, yeah, we'll be slaves. That'd be silly, wouldn't it? The Spirit itself makes us subject to vanity because we see what we were in our nature and say, how did I ever love that alcohol? How did I ever love that drug? How did I ever love that fornication? How did I ever love that partying? How did I ever love fill in the blank? We've all got them, right? Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage. Are you all with me? Children of Israel sighed and they cried by reason of what? The bondage. They were tired of being in bondage. And so for the child of God, within ourselves, I hope you agree with me. I'm tired of being in bondage. I'm tired of this 49 year old body getting older. I'm tired of not having as much strength as I used to. And some of you are snickering and thinking, well, he don't know what he's talking about yet. And I agree with you. You're right. You're right. I won't disagree with you. But I'm tired of the bondage of this world. I'm tired of all the stuff that we see around us. I look to be delivered from that. Do you? From the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Those children of Israel were tired of being in bondage. They were tired of having to, some of them having to murder their babies. They were tired of having their babies murdered. They were tired of, of making brick and mortar, building the vain temples against the for the false gods of the people of, of Egypt, under the order of the king, the pharaoh. They were tired of all that, having to pay and support things that they didn't agree with. <laughs> you see, can you identify with that? They desired liberty. And the Lord heard the sighs. The Lord heard the cries. And the Lord said, I'm bringing a big old load of liberty. <laughs> and that's exactly what He did. He led them out with a high hand. Did He not? He says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only the creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we are ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, which is the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope But hope that is seen is not hope. But what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Those children of Israel were patiently waiting for the Deliverer to come. They whispered around the camps at night and in the homes at night. Oh, there was promise to deliverer. Remember Abraham? Remember Isaac? Remember Jacob? They promised to deliverer. The Lord actually told Abraham that we would be prisoners down here in a strange land called Egypt for all those many years. Has it been 400 years? Has it been 410 years? Has it been 380 years? They whispered that around. There's a Deliverer coming. They hadn't seen Him yet though. And by the way, Brother McNeil, I don't think he looked exactly what they thought he was going to look like when Moses showed up on the scene. And neither did the Son of God, as we've already heard, look like what they had in their mind. Isn't that glorious? Now here's what I want you to get. I've got to close somewhere. I want you to see how Exodus 2, the bondage of the children of Israel, corresponds to Romans 8. If you don't get anything else out of the sermon, I want you to get this. When they sighed, when they cried, the Lord heard on high. And the Lord, amongst the Godhead, made mention of something. It was the covenant. We promised to bring them out. Here it says in Romans the eighth chapter we groan, we sigh, we cry. Lord, deliver us. Lord, deliver us. And it says right here, sometimes we don't even know what to pray for as we ought. You ever been that way? Just got down on your knees and just oh, Lord. I tell you, I heard one preacher say one time that when you finally get down on your knees and you don't know what to say, you finally started praying. You hear me? When you don't know what to say and all you can do is groan, you finally started praying. Because you're speaking a language that God understands. It says here, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You think your groaning is something, and it is something, and we sigh and we cry, but I tell you, the Lord Himself, the Spirit, has a groaning language. He sighs also. You ever wonder what He says? I'm fixing to tell you. I'm fixing to tell you what He says. Make no bones about it. You want to know what the Spirit of God says when we don't know how to pray and when we groan and sigh and cry for deliverance? The Spirit of God does the same thing that the Spirit, the Father, and the Son did back in the days whenever the children of Israel were in bondage and they were sighing and they were crying for deliverance. It says that they remembered what? The covenant. The Spirit of God. Can you picture this? There you are in your prayer closet or tears falling down on your steering wheel dreading to pick up the paper, if, they're, if you even get a paper anymore, dreading to check the news, wondering what next gloom and doom is going to be there. Who's been killed? Who's been robbed? Who's been raped? Who's been destroyed? What politician has fallen? What, what somebody has said they shouldn't say? Who's arguing? Who's fussing? Don't you get tired of it? And let's bring it down on a local level. Let's just don't leave it in the political arena. Let's think about our own personal lives. Somebody dies. Somebody has a tragedy. Somebody experiences something horrible. Oh, just another bad story. Lord, when is it going to end? And you get down on your knees and you just groan to the Lord. You just sigh. Oh, Lord. In heaven, the Spirit of God makes intercession with groanings or sighs, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. You see, this is all talking about what God is thinking when you're sighing and when you're groaning. Because He, God, maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What is the Spirit saying? What is the Father listening to? What is going on whenever we're groaning and when we're sighing and when the little old me that feels like he can't do anything, I tell you, the ears of God in heaven perk up. That's what it means in one place where it says to to hear, to hearken. You know, you ever heard your name? You know, somebody call your name across the room, you hearken, you perk up. Well, whenever the children of God are sighing and crying like the children of Israel in, in, uh, in Egypt, whenever they begin to sigh and they begin to cry at the condition that they're in, at the circumstances that they face, the Spirit of God perks up and they begin to have a discussion in heaven. Remember, remember, remember. He that searcheth the my hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. What is the mind of the Spirit? This is what the Spirit says. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. Whom He did predestinate, then He also called. Whom He called, then He also justified. Whom He justified, then He also will glorify one day. The Lord, when you sigh and when you cry, and you don't know what to say, the Spirit knows what to say. Because God speaks of His covenant in heaven. It's the same thing that the Lord did when the children of Israel cried out under their hard bondage over in Egypt. The Lord whispered to Himself. The Lord spoke to Himself. And He said, remember the covenant. Make mention of the covenant that we had with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I tell you, in a much greater way, when you sigh today, as a spiritual child of Israel, whenever you think about the problems you have, and you sigh and you cry, I tell you, the Spirit of God speaks among the Father, among the Son, and says, this is one that we foreknown. This is one that we predestinated. This is one that we called by our Spirit. This is one that our, my Son justified on the cross and paid for those sins. This is one we justified. And praise be to God. One of these sweet days, we're going to go back and we're going to get him or her. If the Lord doesn't come back before you breathe your last, they're going to take you there when you breathe your last because of the covenant. But if the Lord comes back in our lifetime, He's going to say, Mount up, boys. We're going to get him. What does the Spirit groan? What's the intercession that the Spirit makes? It whispers, maybe shouts. I don't know. It's a language it said that could not be uttered. But he says, we foreknew this one. We predestinated this one. We justified this one. We called this one. We're going to glorify this one. As we close, turn back over to Exodus the sixth chapter. I want to read this to you one more time. Exodus 6 chapter. I want you to think about how this applies to you. If the Lord remembers his covenant whenever we sigh and we cry to him, I want you to think about how Exodus 6 applies to you. It says the Lord said to Moses, the Lord says to you, child of God, you will see what I will do to Pharaoh the Pharaohs of this world. For I with a strong hand will let you go. And with a strong hand, you'll be driven out of this world. You see, God spake to Moses. He speaks to you in verse 2. And He says, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He appeared in this world to, to fulfill His covenant and pay for our sins all those years ago. He says, and I have established My covenant. And I will give you the land of heaven. I will give you the land of heaven one day wherein you have been a stranger here in this world. And I have also heard your groaning. And I remember the covenant that I made with my Son and with the Spirit before the foundation of the world to deliver you from this world. Wherefore the Lord says unto us today, child of God, when we sigh and when we cry, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of this world. I will rid you out of the bondage of this world. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm. I will bring great judgments upon this earth. I will take you to be, me, to be mine for a people. I will be to you a God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of this world. And I will bring you into the land of heaven concerning that which I did swear to give it to you. I am the Lord. We sigh, we cry, and He hears on high. What can you do? You can get out on your knees when the bad stories come, when the tragedies touch your own life. You get out on your knees and you just groan to the Lord. And The Lord whispering in heaven, remember the covenant, remember the covenant. Remember, we're going to get him one day. We're going to take him away from this mess one day. Every eye will see. Every tongue will praise Him. Every knee shall bow. Don't be weary in well-doing, child of God. Don't be weary, at log. Sisters, that you're the oldest ones. Years ago, when the Lord blessed me to go to Bethlehem, we had, I joked and said we had eight and a half people. <laughs> eight and a half. All but gone. All but dried up. All but disappeared. There's eight and a half people down there that wanted to sing praises to Jehovah. There's eight and a half people down there that still wanted to call on the name of the Lord. And these young men that are coming with to me today and these old men, are a testimony to what God has done there. and it's not because of me. It's not because I'm so eloquent because I'm so nice looking because I know I'm not. It's because the Lord in heaven chose to bless. It's because some people got down on their knees and they sighed and they groaned to the Lord. Don't you stop groaning to the Lord and sign to the Lord, Gumlog. It's never too late for the God of heaven. God can walk into any circumstance and He can redeem any circumstance that comes. Just look at Joseph. God redeemed every circumstance in Joseph's life. He didn't work with sin. He didn't have to. He's too holy. He's too sovereign. But He was able to step in and He was able to overcome. There might be someone here today under the sound of my voice that feels that burden and feels that pricking in their heart that says, Lord, I want to see revival. I want to see Your name proclaimed. Everything you need is right here. You say, who is it? <laughs> it's God. Where God chooses to dwell, God can choose to bless. Just get down on your knees and sigh. Cry. And let the Lord just keep rehearsing His covenant. I'll leave you with this. I know you can't believe this. We're going to bleep this off of the, record, off of the recording. But once in a blue moon, I might. my wife and I might have a little disagreement. I know y'all can't believe that. None of y'all experienced that, I know. Sometimes I get upset and I think, you know, she's proved to me I'm wrong again. That's the way it goes most of the time. It takes me a while to figure out that I was wrong. Because you can even be right and be wrong, right? So basically 100% of the time I'm wrong. Y'all with me? If you're not, we'll talk later. And you know what I do? I look at her and I think, you know, this is the wife of my covenant. This is the wife of my covenant. I promise to God to be faithful to her, to love her, sickness and health, poverty and wealth. You know, some of you no doubt take pictures and you look at pictures. We've been looking at a lot of pictures lately because my dad passed away January 1st. love looking at those pictures. But when I see a picture, most of the time I'm looking for me if I'm in the picture. You know, what do I look like? Are you all that vain? I am. I'm willing to admit it. I'm just looking for me unless, unless. My wife is in that picture. My wife is in that picture. She's so beautiful. She's so good to me. I'm looking at her. I'm looking at her face. I'm looking at what she was wearing. I'm looking at the smile. I just think she's, that's my wife. That's my bride. 24 years ago. That's who I made that covenant with. Oh, child of God, in such a greater way than what I have got am able to express or what I feel towards my wife, when the Lord in heaven sees the picture of you, He sees you down on your knees. He sees you hurting. and see, He sees you groaning and sighing. In heaven, He's saying, that's my bride. That's one of my little children. I made a covenant. I promise to be faithful to that bride even when she's not faithful to me. Even when she thinks I'm not here, like Joe. He thinks I'm not here. He thinks I'm not to the right or the left or the front or the back. I tell you, the Lord is there. Because when he looks at you, he doesn't have to look at a picture. He looks at you and he sees his bride. And he remembers his covenant. Get down on your knees. Sigh and cry to the Lord. The Lord's talking to Himself in heaven. He's saying, this is one of my sighing and crying children. I'm going to bring him out with a high hand one day. But until He does, we've got the hope and the expectation that He's going to do that. We sigh, we cry, and the ears hears on high.